Amen. What a great truth this morning. Man, we are so honored to have you guys with us. Like we said, you've already heard the testimony of God moving, and, and uh, man, it was fantastic what God did in first service, record crowd in the history of our church, and so, so cool. And uh, you guys have got a huge dilemma next week. Uh, you guys are Baptist folks. You guys got a whole week to pray over this, and it's going to be tough for you all to make a decision. You have to decide, and we're going to come to the 930 or 1015 service, and I don't know. We've never done that. Uh, but anyway, so uh, good luck on that. Uh, my name is Terry Pierce. I had the wonderful privilege of being the lead pastor here at Connect Church. Love what God's doing. We've been going verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke, and we're sharing with you each and every week that God has a plan for your life. And every week we are unpacking as we walk through this incredible book of the Bible, uh, you can see it up on your screen, uh, that God has a specific plan for your life. And every week through the scriptures, we unpack another truth of what God is wanting to help you discover about you and your life. For the last two weeks, we've been on a really cool journey of digging, really going deep into the Word of God. And we shared with you two weeks ago, uh, it was a game changer for many of you. Many of you have never processed this, and it was really a really cool moment. And when you heard the words of Jesus, and we unpacked what that meant, that Jesus says, you can have doubt and faith in the same heart, and it's okay. That was a really big change of mentality of thinking for some of you today, and so that's so cool. And then last Sunday, uh, we dug even deeper as we unpacked the fact that we continue, and we showed you how to continue to believe in Jesus even when you don't see him at work in your heart, in your life, and what the, does that look like? So today, we're going to share with you this morning uh, the fact that role, the faith, plays a huge role in your life. Now, as you hear that, and maybe you've been processing it, or maybe you're for the very first time, we had several new folks here for the first time in the first service, and so maybe you're here today, and you're asking this question. And by the way, we love seekers at Connect Church. We love people that are trying to figure out, does Jesus, I want Jesus to be a part of my life. So maybe you're asking this question this morning, and you're here today, and you're seriously contemplating, I wonder, is it really worth it to believe in Jesus? And that's a valid question. Maybe you've even went so far to ask the question, uh, and you're maybe to step two, what am I, I going to have to give up? in order to follow Jesus? Or step three, what am I going to gain by following Jesus? All valid questions, and, I, and what we're going to share with you this morning is that your faith makes a difference in discovering that. Matter of fact, that is the title of my message this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, and we're going to share with you today that what Jesus is going to assure his disciples, and he's going to demonstrate for them that their faith makes a difference. We're going to go a little bit old school here this morning as we uh, dive into the message to sort of set it up and to get you engaged in this process of letting Jesus and the Word speak into your heart. So let me set the table for you today of what we're going to be talking to you guys about. Now, those of you that under the age of 40, you probably never heard this story. Uh, I've been here 20 years, so those of you over the 40 and been here the whole time, you probably heard this story, uh, but it's okay. I'm just telling you, I'm repeating. All right, so there was a farming community True story, supposedly. A farming community that was desperate for rain. 
And in this farming community, uh, the crops were drying up. It was bad. Uh, I'm just telling you, Tucker, it was tough, and they, they didn't have any, anything going on for the crops. Alan, you know, the cows were starving, so they needed some rain, needed some hay. <laughs> and uh, so the, the pastors and the leaders in town got together, and they said, we're going to have a prayer meeting at Town Square. So they got all the different denominations and the ministers and the people together, and they said, man, everybody, we want everybody to come to Town Square, going to pray for rain today. Whatever your faith is, you come, and you bring your symbols with you. And so, man, people packed out the Town Square. People brought Bibles. People brought crosses. Uh, the Catholic Church uh, folks brought the rosary beads, and then the Baptist people brought their pews. Because nobody's sitting in their pew. Uh, anyway, and so they all came and they showed up at the town square and they all gathered to pray for rain and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and I'm telling you, it was scorching, sunny. Uh, you've never seen the sun so bright uh, and it was just melting like Mississippi here in a few weeks. Nothing happened and they went home totally discouraged. The next day, one little teenage boy goes to the town square by himself and he begins to pray and he's praying for a few minutes and lo and behold a cloud started coming up in the sky he kept praying and the next thing he heard was thunder he kept praying and I'm telling you in old-fashioned terms of southern Mississippi terms a gully washer just came down I mean they the rain poured down it flooded everything around them and you ask the question what was the difference between all of the religious people, all of the ministers, all the symbols that they brought out there? Why didn't any of that work? And this one little teenage boy prays, and all of a sudden the rain pours out of everywhere. What's the difference? Well, he brought a religious, or he brought a symbol with him as well. He brought an umbrella because he believed that God was going to answer his prayers. And so this morning, I want to tell you that faith makes a difference. The difference in this little boy and the others is that they, he believed that God was going to work and do this and, and hear his prayers. Now, you all kill me and frustrate the daylights out of me. And I just got to be very honest about this whole thing about faith. Now, here's what's going to happen this week like it does every week in Mississippi. The meteorologists are going to get on the news about Monday, and they're going to tell you that we've got a storm and rain coming. And usually, apparently what happens this year is every Wednesday we have another tornado in Mississippi. Can I get a witness? And so what's going to happen about Wednesday, y'all going to start freaking out. They're going to cancel school at 1230. Y'all going to go get your kids, and, you know, they're going to start announcing on the news uh, about 2 o'clock on Wednesday, hide your kids, hide your dogs, hide everybody, because we got tornadoes coming. <laughs> get under the house. Get in the storm cellar. And it happens every week here. And y'all go nuts. Meteorologists, this is a statistic, this is science, 50%, they're only right 50% of the time. They miss it as much as they get it right. But you all freak out over one little prediction that they got a storm coming. When it comes to church and Jesus Christ, he's never been wrong. Everything he ever said or did was 100% completely fulfilled, and you all won't listen. And so the message today, it's time that we believe 
in what Jesus says, faith makes a difference. Today we're going to see that our text, that theologians describe it as Jesus showing his authority over disease and death. And this is fundamental to our faith that makes a difference. We're going to celebrate Easter next Sunday like you've never seen before. And by the way, you come back the following Sunday and we'll celebrate it again because every Sunday here at Connect Church, it is a celebration of what Jesus has done. Death and disease have been conquered by our Savior. Jesus is going to show us that in his, that his Father's sovereign will, that he will, will heal a woman of a lifelong health issue. He's going to raise, believe it, you got to hang on to this, he's going to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. It's going to happen in the story, in the text today. And yet through all of this, and I don't have time to really preach on it this morning, but it's a nuance of this. There's a fundamental issue of timing that takes place in this story, and you're going to see it in a minute. And yet, you and I struggle sometimes because of the timing issue of God. God's going to delay the healing of Jairus' daughter to take care of another need. And you know what happens when God delays and doesn't answer your prayers immediately? Y'all freak out and you give up, and you run away. I want to tell you this morning, faith in Jesus learns to trust. It's not about our way, but it's allowing us to go through the struggle because God is still working. Even when we don't think it is the way we want it, do we have enough faith? Faith makes a difference. So, the question is this morning, are you going to believe in the words of Jesus, what he says and what he does, because it's all going to hinge on the fact, do you have enough faith to believe that Jesus can make a difference? You know what y'all, some of y'all are like, y'all listening online, uh, not you in the house. Uh, anyway, and so some of y'all are like another one of my favorite stories. Y'all heard about the guy that was uh, hiking up in, in uh, the Grand Canyon and fell off the cliff? He's dangling, hanging on to a branch on the side of the, of the canyon. Michael, 500 feet below him is death. And he screams and he cries out. And he says, is there anybody up there that could help me? And all of a sudden, a voice from the skies says to them, do you believe that I can save you and help you? And the man hanging onto the tree cries back out and he screams and he says, yes, yes, please, please help me. And the voice says again, do you believe I have the power to save you? And the voice cries off from the branch, yes, yes, please, please save me. And a third time, the voice says, do you believe that I love you and want to help you? And by this time, the man's frustrated, and he's tired of all the talking, and he says, yes, please, whatever, just help me. And about that time, a final word from the voice from the sky said, all right then, turn loose and let go, and I will save you. And it got deathly quiet and still, and all of a sudden, the man yells back up, 
Is there anybody else up there? Uh, and so uh, maybe you are like that this morning is, man, you come to church and, and you've been praying and you've been trying to get involved in discipleship here at Connect Church and for whatever reason, God is working in your life and you don't like it and you want a different path. You want God to do it a different way. Jesus would come ashore from, the trip, from his trip to the region of Decapolis. And, and he would meet the needs of two different women that would get his attention. And as he would minister to them, Dr. Daryl Brock, a New Testament scholar, and he says it so well, he says chapter, the end of chapter 8, here is identifying Jesus' authority over disease and death and how that faith plays a role in this. Here's the specific words. However, the combination also raises another theme, faith. Jesus' authority over disease and death raises another issue in this story, faith. Both the woman and Jairus reflect different aspects of growing faith. I think that is so true. And in summary this morning, I believe what this text is telling us is that your faith makes a difference. Would you stand with me this morning as we read the Holy Word of God today? While you get ready for that, I'm going to tie my shoe because I'm about to fall down. <laughs> Some of you were praying over there knowing that this would very likely happen with me. So now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, and for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. And he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went, and the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surrounding you are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came, and said, uh, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. And we're going to unpack that for you in a minute. And now she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith, faith makes a difference. Your faith has made you well go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, timing, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter in with him except Peter, John, and James. We're going to tell you about that as well. And the father and the mother of the child. And, and we're all were weeping and mourning for her. But, they say, but he said, do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And this is crazy. And they laughed at Jesus. Knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand... He called out saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them not to tell anyone what had happened. You may be seated. 
the opening scene here in uh, Luke chapter 8, or at the end of the, of the chapter, is a really poignant one. Jesus finds himself in the midst of a crowd which have been expectantly waiting for him. Among them stands a synagogue ruler by the name of Jairus. Now this man was an interesting fella. He was in charge of the worship set uh, that would go on in the synagogue. So all of the ceremonies that they would do with the priests and the sacrifices, Jarius was the one who orchestrated to make sure that everybody hit their cue, uh, the, the sacrifice came in at the right time and all that stuff. The best way I can illustrate it, it was far different, but the, uh, the closest thing that we have in the Baptist church today is the media team. You guys finally, those in the back and those over here, you guys finally made the Bible. Uh, and so the media team, Jarius was on the media team, if you will, and, uh, and so we see that he was very well known. And by the way, uh, this is interesting, you realize that uh, the, the joke inside with the staff team and, and the leadership of the church is, uh, we don't tell them this, but um, we, the, the best media team people, you never know who they are. You understand why? Because the only time that you ever know who a media person is, if they put the wrong slide up, or if you get feedback from the microphones and all that stuff. Otherwise, the best media team people you never know exist because they hit all the cues and they get all the marks right and they do everything just right. Apparently, the Bible says that Jarius was well known. He must have sucked at his job and every, he must have made mistakes every week because everybody knew who Jarius was and, and apparently he wasn't real good at his job. But anyway, uh, so they all knew who Jarius was and, and we see that in the text that he approaches Jesus and he gets on his knees and he begs Jesus to come to his house and save his daughter. She is 12 years old and she's about to die. She's very sick. So Jesus starts headed towards the house. But along the way, another person also needs Jesus that we just read about. This was a woman who had a flow of blood issues and interestingly for 12 years. So you got Jairus' daughter who's 12 years old about to die. This woman's had a blood issue for 12 years. The condition, now when you read that issue, that's got to be frustrating. And, and, it's, and, and it would be anybody that's dealing with chronic physical illness that's here this morning. You understand this. But now in their culture, it was much more severe. And you need to know this because to really appreciate the text. In their culture, in Jesus' day, if a woman had this kind of issue, this is horrible, she was considered unclean. She was not allowed to go to the temple and to worship. She was not allowed to be out in public because of this blood issue. Probably her husband had abandoned her. Her family had nothing to do with her. I'm telling you, she was the lowest of low, the outcast of society that nobody had anything to do with just because she simply had this issue. She could not even go to the synagogue to worship because that's how she was treated. Now look at me. I think this text screams out for people that are watching online and you here today. And some of you can relate to this woman. You've lived all your life and you've been the one that's been an outcast. For whatever reason, you've been shamed all of your life. You were the person in high school who, when you graduated, everybody was like, I didn't know they were in our class. Your picture's in the yearbook, and nobody goes, oh, they were, I didn't even know they existed. And you're that person who flies under the radar, nobody seemingly cares about. Maybe you're that person 
who has a physical ailment that people try to avoid and they're uncomfortable being around you, maybe because of the way you were raised, you were from the wrong side of the tracks, you were from the wrong race, you were from the wrong group of people, and you've been mistreated and shamed all of your life. I've got a great word from you today. This text has got a great word from you today. Jesus is saying to all the outcasts, to all the underprivileged, to all those that have been on the wrong side of things, I'm telling you today, Jesus wants you. Jesus loves you, and so does Connect Church. Welcome to God and his church. Somebody say amen. Amen. Jesus loves the outcast. And so this story screams at us about this woman who was not recognized, who was simply overlooked by society. The, physici the physicians had failed to heal her for 12 years. She doesn't want anyone to notice her. Any of you feel like that? And yet she presses in. And her faith matters because she believes in Jesus. If she could just touch the hem of his garment, Terry, she believes that Jesus could instantly heal her. Faith makes a difference. And Jesus said... Who is it that touched me? And when he all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are surround you, pressing in on you. In other words, so get the picture in your mind here in this verse. is all around them, Jesus is, uh, you know, he, he, he's, he says, somebody touch me. And notice what Peter does. Peter says, everybody's touching you. There's hundreds and hundreds of people around here. And Jesus says, notice. And again, look at the verse. And Jesus says, notice, but I perceive that my power has gone from me. So he's telling her, he's saying to them, he's saying, I know there's a person of faith. Their faith matters. And interestingly, in your life and in mine, as we struggle through this thing of our lives, she makes, this woman makes a desperate lunge to just touch the hem of his garment. Now, the interestingly, in the word touch there in that verse has the idea that when the same word that was used in the original Greek, and we don't have good translations for English with it, but in that original wordage, when it said that Jesus would touch someone and heal them, it had the, eye, the connotations marked that this was the authority of God, and when he touches you, it changes everything. The same Greek word is used here in this verse, and it is saying that that woman gained the, gained the authority of Jesus, that when she touched him, Wayne, she was immediately healed. And I love that. And so we, we understand that faith makes a difference. You ask Anthony, y'all just saw it in the baptism service this morning. You ask Anthony, he thought alcohol was the answer. He thought doing it Anthony's way was the answer. But guess what he found out? It doesn't work. Whatever you're struggling with this morning, whatever you think is going to make you happy, I promise you, you can go down that road. You can go down that road as long as you want. But Jesus is better. Amen, brother? Jesus is better. And so this woman found out her faith made a difference because she realized that if she could just touch the hem of the garment. I'm telling you, this dude got saved. This dude got baptized. This guy got changed from addiction to alcohol because of Jesus. Jesus alone can change your circumstances and situation. And I love what Jesus says next to her. Verse 48, and he said unto her, Daughter, your faith 
has made you well. Go in peace. And I love that. When you and I were looking for the relief of hope, we realize that it's Jesus alone that can heal us. But unfortunately, this morning, there are far too many of you who hear this, but you don't have the faith that really makes a difference. And maybe this is why, because you can relate to this story. What was the difference between all the other people and the needs? Hundreds of people in the crowds that day. Why did one woman receive the healing of Jesus versus everybody else? Isn't that a great question? Faith makes a difference. But maybe everybody else is sort of like the illustration. You, uh, you ever take your kids to the circus? Now, I'm not talking about the car- carnival at the mall, all right? Uh, so y'all headed out this afternoon. Uh, but I'm talking about take your kids to a real circus. And when you take your kids to a circus, the first thing that you're going to find out when you pull up to a circus is they're going to have giant elephants. Giant elephants right at the very front because every kid wants to see an elephant. And these giant elephants will be out at the front of the big top and every kid's going to walk through there. And if you've ever really, as you get older and you rationalize and, and picture in your mind, that's a little scary. And, and I'm a curious person. So if you ever look down to see how they keep the elephants in line, around an elephant, one ankle only, there will be a small chain around one ankle of the elephant. And in that chain will then be hooked to a stake, Josh, and it'll be drugged into, and it'll be buried into the ground. And so this giant tonnage, whatever, I don't know how big elephants are, um, but anyway, uh, these big elephants will be held in place by a small chain and a little stake driven in the ground. You and I understand, dude, wake up. All you got to do is have an itch, and that, that, that uh, leg comes flying out, and that chain and that stake comes flying out of the ground. That elephant, that chain means nothing to that elephant if he just wants to move, but he just stands there chained and controlled by that one little element of device. And so I did some research to figure out how in the world do they keep an element, elephant under control with a little chain and a stake? That's a valid question. And the true story is, and it's sad, that when the baby elephants are born, their master will so teach them and beat them into submission that they never realize that they're an elephant. They think that because of the master's stick and his control over them, they grow up their entire life believing that that master can tell them what to do, where to go, and how to act. So they line up in obedience to a little chain and a little stake, and they never realize their potential. And the truth of the matter is, y'all know where I'm going with this. Many of y'all's master is Satan. Satan has convinced you all that Christ is really not real, that what he says is good for some, but not you because you're not good enough. I'm not really worthy to be one of those good church members. I don't dress like them. I don't feel like them. And so the devil beats you down with your addictions and tells you you're never going to be good enough. The master is in control of your identity. You're a, your past, you continually 
allow your past to dictate your future. I grew up in a sorry home. My parents neglected me. I was uh, outcast, and, and so therefore I can never be potentially any better. Because of your sickness, the devil beat you down. Because of, of your marriage situation, the devil beat you down. You don't, you're not happy with your kids. Whatever it is, Satan is constantly trying to destroy you and defeat you, and you all keep letting your master rob you of the potential of what God can do in your life. You realize what we just sang about? He is worthy. He is worthy because he came to break the chains. He came to set you and I free when we realize through discipleship what we're training you here at Connect Church, your identity is in Jesus Christ, not in what the master enemy says you are. So this morning, the message is clear. Your faith makes a difference. So finally, we move to the unnamed woman. Jesus now turns his attention to Jairus' house to go help his sick daughter. Maybe, uh, but then there's terrible news. Someone from the family runs in as they're on their journey and says, listen, I mean, I appreciate you, Jesus, but it's too late. And notice what Jesus says next in verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Now, interestingly, that word, Greek word there, well, has the connotations that, we, and again, the Greek language just really, you know, is so much more comprehensive than our English language. But if, if you were there in that setting, in that context, when Jesus says to Jairus and the family, don't worry, your daughter's going to be well, it's the very same word well, Chris, that he used when the woman with the blood disease looked at him and, and said to him and told him her, her story, and, and immediately when Jesus looked at her and he said, you will be well, and that happened instantaneously. Can you imagine all that changed in that lady's life in that moment, in that instant, when Jesus spoke to her? In that moment, everything that had been wrong in her life, it stopped, it ceased, it changed, and her, all of a sudden, the flow of blood stopped, and her body, she had a tingle, and she realized she was different from that day forward. That is what Jesus can do for you. That is what he said, I'm going to do for your daughter, Jairus. And so Jairus began to believe. But you know, this morning, so many of us struggle with this whole thing of really believing Jesus. And... Um, you know, we, we hear the story, and, it, and I love what happens next, is they get down to there, and so they get to Jairus' house, and, real, and I've got to try to get through this quickly because I want to get to the end. It's, it's, it's good, and you want to hang with me. So they get to Jairus' house, Stanley. And interestingly, we don't know the details to it, but I think there's a reason why, and the scholars that are right will agree with me, is uh, only Peter and James and John go into Jairus' house. And, his, and Jairus and his wife. Now, why did the only three go? Because unlike the Baptist tradition that preachers can't have any friends, Jesus had an inner circle that was his best friends. And so, but I think there was just more than that, besides them being his best friends. I think these guys struggled to really believe in Jesus, Tony. 
And I think, I'm so sick of you boys. Peter, James, and John, I'm the closest with you three, and you morons, this is just translated in the original language, <laughs> uh, you morons will not believe in who I really am. I keep telling you, and I keep telling you, and you guys are not getting it. So y'all fixing to get up front, and, and I'm talking personal illustration of my glory and my power. That's my view. Uh, Peter, James, and John, I'm tired of y'all questioning and not believing. And you, you know what the three disciples were like? They're like y'all. Did you look at Jeff Foxworthy here? And, and he makes a great statement for y'all coming to church. If you think Nicodemus is a patch to quit smoking, you might need to stop sleeping through the sermon. I'm just saying, y'all keep hearing all the stories and all the things that we keep telling you about Jesus, but then you all just walk away and you forget about it, and, and you're not really believing in it. So I believe that he took these guys in, and so they're, they're questioning, and they're saying, no, you know, she's, she's uh, you know, they're laughing. They literally laugh in the text, but notice what happens next. Verse 54, but taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise, and in that moment, in that moment, there wasn't any ambiguity. Are you listening to me this morning? There wasn't, well, maybe she was just sleeping. No, no, no. I'm telling you, the girl got up and she was alive. And may I proclaim to you and I today that that girl raising from the dead was just a little foretaste. It was just a little vision, a little window into what would happen in the weeks to come when Jesus would walk out of an empty tomb. And by the way, that story's coming next Sunday. Amen. I'm telling you, you get ready for it. But here is the summary of the text that we've been talking about today. And this is what I want you to take home with you. A faith that matter seizes the initiative to act in dependence on God. You need a vibrant faith that is applied to the affairs of your life, just like the two women in our story today. But it also requires you to be patient, waiting on the Lord. His timing. He didn't immediately go to Jair's house, but something even bigger happened. The Father does really know best in your life. So the question is this morning, how we started. <clears throat> what kind, do you have the kind of faith that really matters. Would you like to have a faith that matters? Let me just close with two applications to the text today. I believe they're important to helping you develop the kind of faith that matters. Number one, faith is in the right person matters. Faith in the right person matters. I love the testimony of this woman that when she uh, comes to him and you realize that when Jesus asked her the question, uh, you know, what's your story? You realize this woman was so beat down, she came to Jesus and just wanted to touch the hem of his garment and, and get away. But Jesus then pulls her out. And by the way, this woman comes to Jesus with a, with a weak faith, and she comes to Jesus, and I'm sorry, with a weak and timid uh, mentality, but she believes in Jesus, and her faith matters, and she walks away with a complete change and bold confidence that she testifies to the whole crowd. Yes, I am the woman that has been shamed. Yes, I am the woman that's been neglected. Yes, I am the woman that nobody wants anything to do with, but know this, I'm a woman who's been healed by Jesus Christ. Faith in the right person matters. Faith in the right person that matters. Can I ask you something real quick this morning? Why do you all keep going to everybody else to get advice about your problems? 
Y'all keep running to mom and dad. And I'm talking about adults. Y'all keep running to your traditions. You keep running to the way you were raised. You keep running to the media. You keep running to politics. You keep running to everybody else to solve your problems. We need medication. We need all this stuff. May I just throw out a crazy idea this morning? Maybe the right person, maybe the right person is Jesus Christ. Y'all get frustrated because you don't like the advice you get. Y'all get, you're not getting your problems solved. You continue to carry the same baggies with you the whole time. And what winds up happening in your life is you get mad at me, you get mad at the church, even, you don't say it, but you get mad at Jesus because your life's still a screw up, you still have all these problems. Maybe the problem is, is we're not going to Jesus with our problems. He's the right person. He's the right person. Faith in Jesus matters. Number two, faith in all and the cross matters. I want to emphasize the all in that statement this morning as you write down in your notes. Two steps, two simple steps of how to develop a faith that matters. Faith in the right person and faith in all in the cross. As we prepare for Holy Week this week, in staff meeting, we were praying, and we were praying over you and praying over our services, and it's Tanner and Andrew and Taylor and I, as we, we did all of that, uh, I challenged them to let's be in awe of the cross. Can I do that with you this morning? In Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5, give us the scriptural visual to be in awe of the cross. He was despised and rejected by men, speaking of our Lord, and he was. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You realize who Jesus is this morning. We paint all these pictures and we have our social media memes about Jesus and gentle, you realize that Jesus was a man who lived his life in sorrow and grief. Everywhere he went, he was rejected by people like you and you and you and me. He was a man who lived his life with his own family rejecting him, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. When he would heal people, they would hate on him. They would try to arrest him. They mocked him. And as one from whom men hid their faces, what do we still do today? When Jesus tries to give us a truth like today, what do we do? We run from him. We hide our faces from him. We want answers from everybody else. We're like the guy hanging off the side of the cliff. Is there anybody else up there? You keep doing it your way. He was despised. We did not recognize that who was in our midst. You realize who Jesus is? He is the creator of the universe. He, he lives and operates in what we call the Trinity, 
that I baptized Anthony in, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is God. And we crucified him. And yet you don't honor him in your own life. We esteem him not. Sorry. This is so hard to read. Surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Nobody ever loved you like Jesus. Everything you've ever been through, he cares about. Every pain, every loss. Nobody has ever bore your griefs and your sorrows like Jesus. Yet, we esteem him stricken. We don't want Jesus smitten by God. There's nothing, oh, God doesn't love Jesus. He's on a cross. And of that cross, he was, dare I say it, pierced for our transgressions. (laughs) He was crushed for my iniquities. And upon him, the Holy Son of God was the chastisement that brought me peace. And with his wounds, I am healed. Somebody say amen. If you really believe this, it would matter. Your faith would matter. This text is a picture of the consequences of justification. The judicial act of God in Isaiah 53 is declaring a sinner to be righteous on the basis of the cross. Now here's how it changes your life and mine. What it means to live in awe of the cross. Every single day, I've been yelling at y'all for 10 years every week here in some way or fashion. This truth, and I'm going to do it until you get it. Every day of my life, I begin to pray the spiritual armor into my life. And every single day, it goes like this. Today, I begin with the first piece of my spiritual armor is what? The breastplate of his righteousness. Do you understand what that means? Here's what it means. Every single day, I begin my day praying into my life the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, I have no business getting up today and preaching to you. I have no business to live tomorrow with, with, and have a good day. But here's what Jesus did for me on the cross. Every single day I wake up, Miss Marie, and every single day, no matter what I've done in the past, no matter who I've been, no matter what I've said, no matter where I've gone, Jesus Christ has washed my sins away. I put on his righteousness because of the cross. Now, I'm telling you this morning, that's what it means to live on the the cross. Y'all keep waking up and thinking, oh, man, I screwed it up today. Oh, I have this problem in my past. I'm telling you, when you understand the cross, you realize it is gone. It is forgiven. Today is a new day in Jesus to be in awe of the cross. 
And then I love the next piece. I put on the belt of truth. And the belt of truth says, because of this righteousness, I get to live today with the Holy Trinity. It's me, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How in the flip can you have a bad day when Jesus has given you all of this? Your faith in that truth matters and makes a difference. Oh, to be in awe of the cross. There's an old preacher, theologian, who's long time passed away. And I was going back and studying for this message. And I found this old book in my library. And it's simply titled by John Stott, old school preacher called The Cross of Christ. And he tells in the very first chapter of this book on the cross, and I I don't know how I missed that all these years ago, but he tells about a group of zealots that lived in Jesus' day, and they tell the story, and we're not totally sure it was accurate or not, but it was immortalized in a painting by Holman Hunt in 1873. And it's simply, the painting is this on the screen, it's called The Shadows of Death. And Hunt would paint this picture because of this story that was told by zealots back in the day. And here's the story of the legend. That Jesus is in his carpenter shop. And you realize that Jesus spent 30 years of his life, most overwhelming majority of his life, as a carpenter. This is Jesus every day for 30 years. And he's working in his carpenter shop one day. And as the story is told, he's finishing near the end of the day, working with the wood. And by the way, how ironic that our Lord would work with wood all of his life and then die on a cross, a piece of wood. And as the story is told, that one day as he finished up his daily routine, that the sun was coming near as the hour closed through the little window in his shop. And as Jesus gazed up into heaven, and I love this because as a legend would tell it, we don't know, but as, as Hunt would paint in his picture, the look on Jesus' face is really confusing. And, and then the argument was, was Jesus looking to heaven And was it a moment of of ecstasy knowing that the Father was looking down on him and the Son shone? Or was it a, a, a reaction to knowing that he would soon be nailed to a cross? Was it of ecstasy or was it of pain? I would contend, and many that, that have researched all this believe that it was both. Because Jesus understood both. And then if you really look into the painting and into the story that was told, Notice the shadow behind Jesus. What does it look like? A cross. Oh, to be in awe of the cross. And if you really look closely, even closer at the picture, you notice that his two hands, behind him is a trellis of the wood tools that he would work with every day. And his hunt would paint in the picture. How ironic that the hands of Jesus Brooks and the shadow of the cross would be a hammer on the wall and nails in the other hand. And you and I understand that we're here today in the shadow 
of the cross. Amen. We're here today and the shadow of the cross is still shining and the shadow of the cross pours over you and I this morning because there was one who was worthy, one who was nailed to the cross and in all the cross you and I today can be healed. Oh, this morning, I remind you, my brothers and sisters, and I love you, that your faith, your faith, makes a difference when it's in the right person and it's in all of the cross. Shall we stand? Dear Heavenly Father, we love you today. And as we get ready to sing a verse of invitation, I want you to enter into a, this is going to be a different kind of invitation this morning. I want you to just Right now, make a decision where you're at. Those of you that are watching online at home in Missouri and our satellite campus, would you just bow before God right now and pray these prayers? Get beside your couch, get on the floor on your knees. And as you pray this morning, would you pray this? Oh, dear God, help me to live in awe of the cross like never before. God, as I enter into this holy week, May I be in awe of the shadow of the cross that has changed my life and my destiny. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I cry out to you right now and thank you for dying for me. (laughs) I absolutely do not deserve it. I owe you my everything. (laughs) Not only heaven, but your presence now. Thank you for forgiving me of my past. And maybe this morning there are some of you that need to pray this next part of the prayer. Oh God, I am so sorry for being under the control of my master Satan. He has been lying to me. He has chained me. I've got my personality that I need to give up. I've got my depression, my discouragement, my addictions. And God, today, I'm tired of it. Enough is enough. Satan will no longer control me. Today, because of the cross, I ask, as I reach out by faith to touch the master's garment, the hem of his garment, because of the cross, would you forgive me this morning? Would you forgive me of hanging on to my sins, continually doing the wrong thing because of the cross? Because of the cross, I believe by faith that you can save me, heal me, and forgive me this morning I want you to look at me and this is sort of how we're going to close it out today and just sort of an invitation song we're going to sing a great invitation song when Tanner feels led he's going to let you guys go but I'm telling you this morning this is it this is who Jesus is will you believe in the person and in the awe of the cross. Your faith matters and makes a difference. I love you. God bless you. Take us home, Tanner. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 1030. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details or if you have any questions you'd like to answer, 
please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.